Hi, welcome to Zdenex English Podcast. Here is the long-promised language analysis, which looks at uh, the language that came up during the triple episode called Look Back on the Podcast. And, um, of course, uh, first I should ask you, did you enjoy this uh, triple episode? What were the highlights for you? Uh, do let me know, please, uh, because, uh, as you know, I love getting your comments. But in this one, we are going to dissect the English language. And, of course, I don't know how much you know me, but, um, yeah, you could consider me to be a sort of a language freak. I am quite excited, you know. Uh, this is a very nice opportunity to show off my language skills And I love this so much. I'm in my element doing this. You know, I'm a geek. I'm a language, a linguistic geek, you, sh you could say. So, basically, here in front of me, I have got about 50, uh, not 15, 50 bullet points. And this will probably end up being a double episode, uh, because I can't imagine covering all 50 bullet points in just one hour Um, which is uh, the maximum that I would, um, the maximum length of one episode. No, this will um, um, go beyond that. So, yeah, this, this will end up being double episode. So, um, um, I'm looking at basically different aspects of the language. Uh, obviously, English language, because this is Zdenek's English podcast. And um, I spoke English with Luke. Okay, so the choice is personal. The choice of those things that I'm looking at is personal. It's a bit arbitrary, to be honest, uh, a bit random. All I did was that I listened to all three episodes of Luke back, in the pod back on the podcast, and I made a lot of notes. A lot of notes, which um, then I put into several categories. And... Um, Uh, the categories that I'm analyzing are basically vocabulary, and this uh, includes phrasal verbs and idioms, um, grammar, uh, some just uh, interesting grammar points, pronunciation, that will be some features of connected speech, uh, mostly, conversation features, uh, that's just what happens in conversation and um, features of Sometimes I will look at uh, some idiosyncrasies, which, what is an idiosyncrasy? It's basically um, some kind of personal features of, of a speaker, okay? And most of the time, the language source for this is obviously Luke, uh, but I also include some self-correction, because, as you know, I tend to be a masochist. You might be thinking... Why are you revealing your weaknesses, Zdenek? Why should you risk being judged so much? Well, because I want to tackle them head-on, fearlessly. Um, I'm always a little embarrassed when I make a mistake on my podcast. And that's because I'm an English teacher and I am kind of aware of these mistakes, especially after I listen back to what I say, most of the time I notice them. Um, so, becoming aware of them and bringing some attention to them will ultimately help me polish my own English. 
that's my theory behind this. I hope the theory is right. Um, I should rather say hypothesis because um, a hypothesis is uh, an uh, basically unproven theory, as far as I know, not a th- theory that needs to be uh, scrutinized before it can be called a theory. Okay, so I don't think this is uh, a case of shooting myself in the leg. I think uh, this shows, on the other hand, this shows my willingness to be open-minded, self-aware, reflective. And these are, in my opinion, qualities of a good language learner. And of course, I want to be a good language learner because um, it could uh, set an example to you. And I suppose you are all language learners as well. Um, Anyway, time to stop blowing my own trumpet here. And before we get into it, there's a little disclaimer. I'm not correcting the intros. I'm not interested um, in the introductions to each of those three episodes. I think language-wise, they could be looked at as well. But the, the reason I'm not choosing to go for them is because they were scripted. And um, the dialogue with Luke is just way more authentic. And that's why it's uh, more worthwhile. Okay? So, that's it. This was the intro to this episode. And now, let's get started, shall we? But no, it's, we get slightly better weather in, in Paris than in London. So, uh, yeah, first actual snowfall. Although it has been uh, a colder uh, winter, definitely, than the last one. Because mm. I know it has been because I've been wearing gloves this, this year and I didn't wear gloves last year. That's how I uh, know. So this is a grammar point. Luke is saying, although it has been a colder winter, definitely, than the last one. He's using present perfect tense there. It has been. It is the subject, has is the auxiliary verb, and been is the past participle of the verb to be. But why? Why is he using uh, the pa- uh, present perfect tense? Um, that's because he uh, is talking about the past as well as the present. So he's trying to uh, join basically uh, two time periods together, and that's what happens in English when. Um, when you want to do that, you, you have to use present perfect tense. Uh, th- uh, this winter hasn't finished yet. Uh, I mean, it might have finished by the time you're listening to this. But at the moment of recording this, Luke said it has been uh, called a winter. So basically, he's in the middle of winter and uh, it hasn't finished yet. So it's still pr- the present. That's the point. If he spoke about the last winter, he would have to say it was a colder winter or something like that. I find that a lot of my uh, students struggle with present perfect. And, and, and the main reason is that they don't have present perfect in their own languages. It is the case in Czech. And um, like I said, I think it's in more languages, too. Oh, where could that be? Like, I, I guess somewhere in the equatorian. What's the what's the word for it? Equatorian. Around the around the equator in that equator. In, yeah, in that area. Yeah, just near mm. the equator. How boring it must be at the equator. <laughs> <laughs> so the equator 
obviously is the line that divides the northern and southern hemisphere uh, of the Earth, of our planet, and it kind of encircles it. So uh, I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. Uh, it has zero, it has zero latitude. But what I'm looking at here is the definite article. So first of all, why do we have to use the article? Well, that's because um, uh, there is only one equator. It's something unique. And um, in English, in most cases, when we're talking about something unique, we have to use the definite article, the. Um, for example, the sun, the earth, um, uh, the Buckingham Palace, I don't know, the center, uh, because there's only one center, the center of the town. You know, when we talk about something unique, we use the in English. So that's why it's the equator. But also, we could look at the pronunciation of the here, which is not the, as you can hear. It's rather the. Why is it the? Um, it's because whenever in English, um, uh, whenever in English the definite article is followed by uh, a word which starts with a vowel sound, uh, then you should pronounce uh, the definite article as the. Now, what is a vowel sound? If you don't know what a vowel sound is, then um, let me tell you. A vowel sound is u, o, u, o, o, uh, au, uh, uh, and so on. Okay, these are vowel sounds. So, um, so you would say the animal, the umbrella, and so on. But be careful. I'm talking about the vowel sound, not the vowel letter. So, for example, you don't say the USA, and that's because even though you uh, technically is uh, looks like a vowel, but um, it is pronounced y, u. So it's u. So but, uh, the word starts with y, not u. That's why uh, we say the USA, not the USA. Uh, and also the hour. Um, uh, why why is it the hour? Even though um, the word hour starts with h. Well, that's because it doesn't start with the sound h. Um, um, we, we, as you know, it's a silent letter there. So we say our. So it starts with the vowel sound ow with a diphthong ow instead. And that, that means that we, we have to pronounce the definite article as the. So the our. And I, I was just, just before we started this call, I was trying to think about when I did the Delta, trying uh -huh. to cast my mind back to remember exactly what it was. But I think essentially the contents are the same. So to cast your mind back, it is an expression, and it means to try to remember something, okay? So uh, the verb cast has a lot of meanings on its own. Um, off the top of my head, uh, it could be to give someone a role in a film, or you can cast something into the fire. Remember the Lord of the Rings, the starting sequence of the, the first part of the trilogy, called uh, Fellowship of the Ring, when it was, I think, Isildur, and um, someone was shouting at him, Isildur, cast it into the fire! Like, it means throw it into the fire, okay? So, yeah, that's another meaning. Also, um, you can cast a spell. I'm sure a lot of you uh, play computer games and or card games, and... Um, if you have a wizard, you can cast a spell with your wizard. A spell like fireball or uh, lightning or ice bolt or something like that. And um, a doctor can cast a plaster um, if uh, he needs to fix uh, 
your broken arm or something like that. Hopefully nothing like this will ever happen to you, obviously. I wouldn't ever dare to wish um, misfortune upon you. Uh, so that's the expression, to cast one's mind back, which means to try to remember. But why, right. do, you th why do you think they were, why do you think we have to write those extremely <sighs> long lesson plans then? What's the purpose of that? Well, I think, I think it just, you know, what do you say, to separate the, the chuff the chuff from the wheat like you know just mm. you have to go through it if you manage it then you know <laughs> you have what it takes yeah so what happened here i think this is a classic classic example of me trying to show off my knowledge of idioms and basically messing it up yeah i should have said to separate the wheat from the chaff okay and not the other way around um i will be understood if i say that look definitely understood what I was talking about, but it sounds a bit funny because like Luke says later in this recording, idioms are sometimes overrated and sometimes we, uh, the language learners, just try too hard um, when we should rather go for, for a simpler expression, which means exactly the same thing and it is, it is more effective. And we kind of make fools of ourselves, like I did here. Um, it's like a similar example could be uh, it's raining cats and dogs. You shouldn't really say it's raining dogs and cats, right? Because the, the, you should, if you are to say the idiom, you should say it correctly. So to separate the wheat from the chaff, not the other way around. And if you're wondering what this means, it means to separate the good from the bad. Okay. Means mm. that you know if, if you can pass that, then then you're probably good. But also, I think the idea is that they want us to, um, you know, understand. Okay, so here we are looking at an aspect of pronunciation, and to be honest with you, I kind of find this one actually fascinating. Um, that's the idea is, and uh, why do I find this fascinating? Well, I find this fascinating because. As a teacher, I know for a fact that this is one of the reasons why um, uh, the, the learners of English struggle with understanding what the native speakers say. We struggle because, you know, some sounds are pronounced differently in isolation and um, they are pronounced differently when they are used in connected speech or some sounds disappear or uh, some, some sounds are... Uh, added, and that's this particular case. There is an additional sound. There is r sound, r, and it's called actually the intrusive r, the intrusive r. We also happen to have the linking r. So these two are a little bit confusing, and but I don't think you need to know it. What you need to know is that we add r there. Uh, idea. So we have i d ear. Okay, so it, this word ends with ear sound, and then it's followed by the verb is, obviously. So what happens is that idea ends in a vowel sound with a diphthong ear, and the following word is starts with a vowel sound as well. So what happens here is that the native speakers basically link ear and is with r sound. So they say idea is instead of idea is. You could say idea is, it's not a big deal, but I'm just trying to um, show you what happens 
when uh, native speakers speak. And that's exactly what Luke said. He said, idea or race. So there is an extra R. And uh, for the linguistic geeks, this is called the intrusive R. The R that intrudes there. Okay, just we use it just to avoid two vowel sounds next to each other because that's a bit dodgy, apparently. All right. Essentially, you have to just... Instead of like jumping through these hoops every time you plan a lesson, they've set up the delta. So it's like one massive hoop that you've got to jump through and you jump through that and then you sort of don't have to jump through any other little hoops again. Or whenever yeah. you do jump through little hoops again in the future, um, it doesn't feel like much because of the massive one that you leapt through uh, <laughs> in that two month yeah. period. So here we're looking at the expression to jump through hoops. And it is a new one for me, I have to admit. And no, we were not asked to jump through the hoops as a physical form of exercise during uh, our Delta course in order to pass the lessons. No, it was not part of the curriculum. Um, this is a metaphor, basically. Um, and a hoop is this kind of a circle that uh, it's usually made of plastic and you could ho you could use a hoop to um, perform some sort of exercise you know to work out uh, and also the, uh, we use hoops in, we have hoops in basketball that's uh, where the ball has to go through in order for you to score two or three points or you could score one point actually as well so that's a hoop And um, do, have you ever heard of hula hoops? Okay, so that's a form of exercise, I think. And here it, it just means that um, you do a lot of difficult work before you are allowed to uh, go further. You have to make extraordinary effort. You have to do a lot of work, basically. It's a metaphor to jump through hoops because it basically suggests that it is difficult to jump through a hoop. And when you have a lot of hoops, the difficulty level increases exponentially, okay? So in order to pass the delta, in order to successfully pass this course, we had to tick a lot of boxes. We had to jump through a lot of hoops. And then I remember that I was moving flat and I spent about um, five or six weeks uh, in this little flat with nothing in it because, you know, I was moving. Now, here we're looking at the expression to move flat or move house. And it is really interesting one because you cannot understand it literally. It's not like Luke was physically moving the location of his flat. That would He would have to be some kind of a superhero or, I don't know, a, a time lord to, to be able to do that. Of course, he can't do that. No, it's actually him who was moving. But the word flat here is the object. So it should be something affected by the verb. And um, yeah, and that's because, as you know, English language is a very interesting language. And often we uh, do not mean um, the words literally. So in this case, uh, to move flat means to change the place where you live. Uh, what could also indicate that um, it does not have a literal meaning, is the fact that there is actually no article there. Um, so it's not specified by an article. So you just say move flat, move house, not move the or a flat. 
and house. Okay, that's something that could help you to um, basically figure out that we don't mean this literally. Um, and you could apply this knowledge uh, to other expressions too when you're not sure. By the way, I'm going to come back to this expression in one of my future episodes, which is currently in the pipeline. And um, it actually came up during one recording as a joke. So you will have more of this in the future. Brace yourself. So just to sum up, to move house or to move flat means to change the residence or the place where you live. Because like, that's, that's just my brain was so full of this stuff. It had to just come out. And yeah. that's, that's because of the exam. And I don't know if the exam's different now, but the exam was the thing that really got me. All right. So what's this one about? Well, this one is about another feature of pronunciation that happens in connected speech. And it's a typical example, really. Uh, Luke said to come out uh, instead of come out. Okay. So the final t sound was dropped. It was elided. It was omitted. And this uh, feature of pronunciation is called elision. Ever heard of elision? Well, there you go. Uh, why does this happen? Well, it happens because native speakers are um, lazy. No, not lazy. They're just economical. They want to save time. And um, it is easier to say come out instead of come out. You can notice more examples of elision um, in our conversation with Luke. Not just this one. And uh, to be honest, Luke is actually uh, someone who doesn't do it that much. Uh, certainly other native speakers do this more often. For instance, Paul Taylor is a typical example. Um, every time I listen to Luke's English podcast, whenever Amber and Paul are on the podcast, uh, Paul Taylor, uh, he, uh, one of his typical, one of his typical idiosync idiosyncrasies is uh, the elision. Okay, just try Next time you listen to Tangential Trio, try notice it for yourselves, okay? So that's come out illusion. Yeah, well, yeah. you must know you must know your strengths, and it, it, it you know it looks yeah. like you've got a good good handle on the language analysis. Okay, so this is another expression um, to have a good handle on something, to have a good handle on language analysis. In this case, um, you know what a handle is, right? Uh, you need to turn a handle in order to open the door, okay? So that's what the handle is. And to have a good handle on something means to to know how to do something well, basically. There are a lot of idiomatic expressions like this one in English language, and they are really the worst. They are the worst to learn, um, except for maybe phrasal verbs. They're really difficult to remember because there are so many of them, and they mean so many different things. And uh, I'm so annoyed with that. I'm so annoyed that I might even fly off the handle now here. Um, no, Zdeněk, don't do that. Keep calm, keep calm and stay cool. Don't fly off the handle. Uh, because you have got a good handle on language analysis, as Luke said. All right, let's move on. Uh, yeah, that's all right. But there was one lesson in particular which I failed, and it was the second one. It just, it just got me. Like, I... Okay, I think I'm flying off the handle again. Because what the heck happened here? What the hell? Where the hell did I place the stress in the word particular? Right? Did you notice that? In particular. So, of course, of course, um, I wrongly placed the stress. It has to go on the second syllable. Not anywhere else. 
on the second syllable. You can check it in a dictionary if you don't believe me. Shame on me. Okay, let's not dwell on this. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> that felt really weird, but somehow I, I managed to uh, get, get my senses back and I, uh, I played it in Microsoft the Media Player. But... Okay, so what, what's this? Well, this is, I managed to get my senses back. That's what I said. And, well, I've been thinking about this one, and it doesn't sound too wrong. I think it might actually be right. But I decided to check it regardless. I went to Google. That's where you go if you need to check collocations or generally expressions. And um, it turned out that the expression to come to senses is used way more often than to get your senses back. Um, I still don't think it's wrong. But um, if you want to sound more natural, if you want to sound more like a native speaker, you better use the expression, come to senses, and I should use it myself. Which is a typical like picture of a, of a, nat- a lot of native speaker teachers, I would say, of English. I mean, yes. there are obviously some who have, uh, who have graduated from uh, university and like, did pedagogy and English teaching, but a lot of them were like you, I suppose. Um, yeah, I met some some, some teachers like this uh, during my SOTA too. Mm. But at this during this Delta, all of the teachers like had been experienced once. So be it. Yet another chapter from the self-correction festival. Um, in this case, I misused the past perfect tense. I said all of the teachers had been, even though even though I was not supposed to do that. And that's because first I was talking about my Celta studies, and then I went on to talk about my Delta studies. And what did I study first? What do you think? Of course, I studied first the Celta and then moved on to the Delta. Because, of course, you don't put the cart before the horse, do you? Yeah? So, obviously, I should have used just past simple. I should have just said, all of the teachers were... Now, why does this happen? Well, it happens because I have to think about the tense sequence. I think learners of English, from my experience, master uh, past perfect tense at a late stage. And it happened to me, personally. It took me a lot of time before I really started using the past perfect tense. And um, I still sometimes struggle like this. Uh, And obviously, it doesn't sound too authentic what happens here is basically that I overuse the past perfect tense. Uh, sometimes it's just simple to use past simple, you know. Did you get what I did there? Sometimes it is simple to use the past simple. Um, uh, for example, it's not used with the word before, even though if you want, even if you want to refer to a time period that happened before the main action, as long as you use the word before, there is no need for past perfect. So the past perfect is a little bit overrated. And the reason this happened is because I'm probably too conscious um, when I want to speak English. I'm too conscious of this grammar rule and um, just basically overdo it, you know. Sometimes thinking less helps, I I suppose. Yeah, I think it must have happened. But I I would say that most of the time I just just let the free flow of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, you know. Yes, go on. But then again, like, you you can get closer... To a native speaker teacher, you just have to find the opportunities, like network with native speaker teachers. I mean, if I if I listen to to podcasts, like I would say one 
at least one hour a day or two hours a day. Yeah. I'll get the feel. I'll get the feel for the language too. You know. Mm. You can. You can. If I. If I. I'll get the feel. I'll get the feel. What's going on? This is something I'm not so proud of. This is、uh, my idiosyncrasy, my personal thing, and I think this is a bit of a stammer in it, a bit of a stutter. Okay, so it's. Do you think it's a speech impediment? Because I hope not. I hope it's just what happens to you when you want to, you know, say a lot of things, and basically when you're a little bit. Nervous. I wasn't that nervous, to be honest with you. But you don't get to speak to Luke Thompson every day. You know what I mean.、Um, so I don't think it's a speech impediment. I think this is just a feature of conversation. And some people have it more. Some people have it less. Obviously, good orators have it less. Good speakers,、um, you know, avoid this. Bad speakers use this as a compensation strategy. Because it's it, it is some sort of a filler where it gives you more time to think. You just repeat what you said, and then you 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 can think about what to say next. You know what I mean? So that's what it is, and I'm not too proud of it. But you know, it is what it is. Uh, you know the the podcast is going really well, sort of despite、mm. myself. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so what are we looking at here? Uh, we're looking at an aspect of language, of course. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's the phrase we are looking at. We're looking at. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, it's a question, and it is a useful phrase, very conversational, very common in spoken English. And what's interesting about this is the way the native speakers sometimes sometimes pronounce it. Luke pronounced it、um, in his best RP. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? And you know. A lot of native speakers actually pronounce it in a much shorter way, something like "Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean?" And I remember this because about 12 years ago, I used to live in England, and I worked on a construction site among a lot of Cockney speakers, and they used this a lot. And at the time, I did not understand what they were saying. Obviously,、um, gradually, I figured it out, but it took me some time.、Um, obviously.、Uh, This invites the listener to say something, a word of approval, or something like that. Some native speakers overuse it. I remember this American teacher that overused it a lot. That was a bit annoying. But other than that, it is a useful phrase indeed. And also, you should look at the form of this. It is an indirect question, actually. Be careful about the indirect questions like this. The direct question would be, "What do I mean?" And the indirect question is, do you know what I mean? So look at the 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 part what I mean. Actually, it doesn't have the form of a question. It follows the word order of a positive sentence. So that's something you have to be careful about. A lot of a、uh, lot of my students make this kind of mistake in indirect question. Do you know what I mean? Try not to let it get to my head too much. You know, obviously, <laughs> obviously, I could wind up being like Donald Trump or something at some point.、Uh, Well, first of all, let me point out that I do hope that Luke doesn't wind up being Donald Trump. We have certainly got enough of that. So please, 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 Luke, make sure、uh, you do everything you can not to wind up being Donald Trump. Now, 
what we're looking at here is uh, the phrasal verb to wind up, which is typically followed by ing, like in this case. Um, to wind up means end up, so um, it's, it has the same meaning. To find yourself in an unexpected situation, uh, often as a result of what you do. And this, is of, this often has some sort of negative connotation. It's something unpleasant, something you did not want to happen. But I don't think it's, uh, it's always like that. It's in most cases. Now, you have to be careful with the phrasal verbs because, as we know, they are polysemous, meaning that they have a lot of meanings. Uh, another um, meaning of this phrasal verb to wind up um, is, you know, when you have a watch or some sort of a toy that has a key in it and you have to turn that key in order to make it work. So uh, the, the thing that you do to the key, the turning, is called winding um, the toy or winding the gadget up. So to wind up um, a watch or something. Also, um, you can wind somebody up. That means basically to, to irritate someone, I think, to make fun of somebody. And um, yeah, so here you go. Um, be careful about that. And also be careful not to read it as wind, because obviously, you know, that sort of thing, wind. Uh, <laughs> this week we will be on holiday. And <laughs> the, the, the sky will be blue and the sea will also be blue. I don't know, yeah. it's just nonsense. Non absolute nonsense. Okay, so I have to admit here I just couldn't help including uh, Luke's impersonation of Barack Obama because I find it absolutely hilarious and it's 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 awesome look. Uh, now I have to admit I was a little bit scraping for barrel here. I didn't know um, I didn't know what to talk about language wise, and then I thought that I may just point out that in American English, uh, "oh" sound is pronounced "ah." So Luke says there, uh, today we will be on holiday. Right, so I'm not sure if it's in all words, but it's in a lot of words. So you have got like possible is possible, bottle is bottle, and so on. So that's one interesting difference between American and British English that concerns pronunciation. And and he said that I would be the first person he would hire. So it's like a huge. Huge flattery there for me. That's brilliant. So I get this, but I obviously I think I underestimate. Well, I, I think it's quite interesting to just feel like you're sitting in on on this this lesson, and it's 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 nice listening to you teaching someone. Okay, I'm afraid I have to go into this because flattery is the act of praising someone, often in a way that is not sincere because you want something from them. So. No, that's not what I wanted to say. I was um, going to say that it's a huge compliment for me, right? Not flattery. So, yeah, so I just um, misused, I misused a word there. Flattery is something else. But I think it has a similar concept in a way, actually. So that's what confused me. But actually, I could have said it's flattering, instead of it's flattery, um, that would have been all right. 
Well, I, I think it's quite interesting to just feel like you're sitting in on on this this lesson, and it's 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 nice listening to you teaching someone. Okay, maybe I should also explain the meaning of this phrase of verb. So, according to my dictionary, it means to go to a meeting, although you're not directly involved. So, listen to sit in on. You can also listen in on. That's a very similar concept. Um, basically. Here, look, uh, it's not really a meeting. It's, it's a sort of meeting, isn't it? In a classroom, the students and the teacher meet uh, for um, a common purpose. I suppose so. Um, you know, not not going into massive detail in uh, corrections, oh, but okay. you, you were okay. you were helping someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it must have happened, but I, I would say that most of the time, I just I just let the free flow of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And you know. Right, so what happened here? I'm trying to correct myself uh, in that phrase, let the free flow of conversation. Something is weird about it. Something is out of place, a bit fishy. Um, I have been thinking about what it is. And I think it's it's a problem in verb pattern. You know that after let, you need an object and then another verb as well, like in let it go or let it happen or let me see. So that's what happened here. I have an object there. The free flow of conversation is a perfectly viable object. Uh, it's perfectly legit. But then uh, somehow the verb uh, didn't show up. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I should have really said here that I like to uh, let the conversation flow freely. Or even something along the lines of I like to have a free-flowing conversation Honestly, that, like everyone else who we met on this on this bloody mountain, everyone else is like, I can't believe how difficult this is. This is, this is really hard. You know, a yeah, lot of people yeah. just uh, gave up halfway through and stuff. Yeah, it was really, really harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so here uh, I'm looking at the expression halfway through, which I think is a very nice expression that I don't personally use enough. Um, so if something is halfway through... It means it's right in the middle. Obviously, Luke is talking about his trip up the volcano in uh, Indonesia, I think it was. I hope I didn't, uh, again, confuse it with California. No, I don't think I did, did I? No, I think it's right. So, um, by the way, we are almost halfway through with this language analysis. And that means only one thing. That means that uh, I'll have to... Leave it right there when the time comes. Um, it's a couple more expressions and then um, I will divide this and uh, publish the second part later. I hope you don't mind. I really have to do this because this was this would wind up being a bit too long. I mean, what I like about about this is that like how you manage to strike a balance between um, between like more serious stuff and then more lighthearted one. Right. A bit of self-correction won't do any harm, will it? Here we're looking at a discourse problem. And I said I was speaking about striking a balance between uh, more serious stuff and more lighthearted. And then I said one. I don't think you can do that, you see. I don't think you can use uh, one as a substitute for a stuff. And that's because stuff is by nature an uncountable noun. And um, so it cannot be counted. So you cannot really use a number 
as a substitute for something like that. Um, so what should I have said instead? I should have probably said to strike a balance between serious stuff and more lighthearted. And so in the story, uh, the boat uh, capsizes and everyone gets thrown into the water and like, you know, all these women and children yeah. are being swept away by the water and stuff. Okay, so now hold your horses because grammar time is here. That's right. And you know how much I love good old grammar. I think this expression that Luke said, all these women and children are being swept away by the water. It's loaded with so much good grammar that I'm going to be squeezing this lemon for um, for a long time. I hope you don't get bored because I think this is really interesting. So this structure is really worth looking at for various reasons. I think we should take a look at this from syntactical point of view, first of all. What's the subject of this sentence? The subject is all these women and children. That's That's like five words, right? And this whole phrase functions as the subject. Then we have got uh, the verb, and the verb um, is also uh, full of words, and that's are being swept away. So it's four words um, build, uh, the, build up the subject here. By the water is an adverbial. Um, so we've got three parts, and the, the pattern, the syntactical pattern is SVA, that's subject, verb, adverbial. Now, um, the subject, all these women and children, is a noun phrase, and the head of this noun phrase is the noun. Here we have actually two nouns, and they are coordinated by the word and, and they are at the same level. So it's some sort of, like, a, I would say, double head. It's double head. And all these uh, both function as pre-modifiers of uh, the head, and they are determinous. As, uh, they are determinous. They tell us a bit more about those nouns. Our being swept away is the verb phrase. It's uh, quite a long one, as you can see. And here we have got are, which is an auxiliary verb. Being, which is yet another auxiliary verb. Swept away, which is uh, the, the main verb. So that's the head of this verb phrase. Swept away is technically a phrasal verb. It is a transitive verb. And because it's a transitive verb, uh, it was possible to create this sentence in passive voice. So this sentence is in passive voice. Originally, uh, the, the subject of this sentence used to be an object. Obviously, um, water was the subject and it swept all these women and children. But here we want it passive because... We use passive when we want to focus uh, something, when we want to change uh, the, the, the focus, and we do it by changing the word order. Also, we have got uh, by the water, and by the water is, uh, as I said, the, um, the adverbial, and that's, uh, that basically expresses the agent, like who does this. As I said, this used to be the original subject of the sentence. Now... Like I said, we can analyze the verbs a little bit, and so it's in passive. Also, the tense here is present, so we have got the present tense, and we have got continuous aspect. Sometimes we just say present perfect tense to make it simpler. Um, 
what else can we talk about here? I think it might be enough, actually. I mean, I shouldn't go into more details here. You might be thinking, Zdenek, you have already went a bit too far for my liking. Well, if, if that is the case, then I'm, I all I can say is that I'm sorry, but when I'm passionate about something, when I love something, I become a monster. You know, I get carried away a bit. So I apologize for that. If, if you feel that's what happened now. Okay, I think that's enough. All these women and children are being swept away by the water. Really interesting sentence indeed. Ah, maybe we could have a look at the pronunciation here a little bit. Because, um, you know, we can study the the sentence stress. Which words have got the stress in this sentence? All these women and children. So definitely women and children. Um, I don't think all these have particularly strong stress. It's probably pronounced in its weak form, with schwa sound, and uh, are being swept away, are being swept away, so we've got the swept is the past participle, so this has to be in the, oh, what am I talking about? Swept away is the whole past participle, and this is in, um, this is obviously stressed, yeah, our being is not stressed, I would say by the water, by the water, by is a preposition, the is uh, the definite article. I can't imagine these two words being stressed here. So the last stress word is water. Remember, the most important word, words in a sentence are stressed. So it's the nouns, uh, lexical verbs, often it's adjectives. We don't have an adjective here, an adverbs. We don't have an adverb here. Okay, so all these women and children are being swept away by the water. Did you hear that? So women, children, swept, and water are stressed. The others are not stressed. We have got uh, some weak forms there as well. So, and, uh, away, being swept away. Oh, hang on a minute. I think I've just made a mistake. Yes, that's right. Being swept, swept away. Away is going to be stressed too, and that's because um, it's it actually functions as an adverb here, I think. Yeah. You know, when you have these phrasal verbs, the particle often functions as an adverb, and that's exactly what happened here. Okay, enough, enough. Let's let's move on. That obviously the stress. You know, in English it's very important, and Czech Czech learners they they really struggle with this because we don't we we always put the stress on the first syllable in every single word. Uh -huh. So here it's another interesting feature of conversation, and it is called a false start. What happened here is that I false started my sentence. I started with, we don't, and then I realized that I don't want to go this way. And immediately I fixed it by actually repeating the subject and uh, saying it in a positive sentence rather than negative. So I said, we always put the stress on the first syllable. So, Zdenek, make up your mind. Actually, guys, you know what? This is not something I'm ashamed of, because this is a typical feature of conversation. I just wanted to show you uh, that this is nothing unusual. And, you know, it's, it's, better to, um, it's better to fix the mess you made than leave it a mess, I suppose. Even if it winds up being a bit untidy, I guess. Um... This is what happens when halfway through your sentence you realize that this is not uh, 
the direction you want this sentence to take. You just go back and rephrase what you're saying. Um, so false starts typically in linguistics when we analyze the discourse, when we analyze uh, conversation between people. So I, I know even native speakers do this, so I don't have to feel ashamed about this one. You are now working on your um, course, uh, business English course. Yeah, very, very slowly because I'm, I'm um, procrastinating with, um, with the best of them. I, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting very good at procrastinating. If Luke is getting better procrastinating, what am I then? I wonder... Anyway, we're not looking at the word procrastinating here because I think you all know what it means. We're looking at the idiom or the expression with the best of them. With the best of them is an idiom which I didn't know myself, I have to admit. And I um, consulted literature, because that's what you do. When I say literature, <clears throat> I consulted, consulted website because it's way faster these days. Uh, so, and apparently, the phrase with the best of them means as well as anyone else or in a way that is equal to any other person's effort. From my point of view, this phrase is a little bit similar to the phrase it happens to the best of us. It's, the, it's a similar concept, a similar idea, and it basically means like it can happen to anybody, all right? Or, um, you know, it's, I'm not different from anybody else. All right, we are coming to an end of this episode because we are about to analyze the very last piece of this language analysis part one. It's the 25th um, piece of analy analysis, so we are exactly halfway through. And in the second part of this analysis, which will be the fifth part in total of this series called Look Back on the Podcast... Uh, we will analyze the rest, the second half, okay? And then one day we will hopefully analyze it all. Now, um, yeah, so I hope you have been enjoying this. I hope uh, you haven't fallen asleep. I hope I haven't bored you to death. Um, I, if you are like me, if you are a little bit of a geek, a little bit, little bit of a grammar nerd, then welcome and maybe we should socialize please uh, send me a message. Uh, let me know that I'm not alone in this world uh, because, you know, a flock of feathers stick together. <laughs> we should, um, you know, we should basically know about each other because sometimes when you are a nerd, a geek, it feels like you're a bit alone, you know, alone in the world and nobody understands you. You are a bit alienated. Um, okay. Enough of this rant. Let's have a look at the very last, the 25th aspect of English language, which I decided to analyze for you. It's yeah. fascinating, you know, presentation skills mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the language of uh, meetings and negotiations. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's really where the language properly comes into play when, mm. when you're trying to um, delicately put pressure on someone or when you're trying to uh, like uh, negotiate the price or a discount. Okay, so we have got uh, the last bit of language to analyze, and it's to come into play. And Luke said that's really where the language properly comes into play. What an interesting sentence that is. 
And he's basically talking about a teaching situation. And he's saying that that's when the language unfolds. That's when the language becomes an important factor in something. That's, that's when it gets involved, you know. That's when it comes to life, so to speak. Okay, so to come into play. I, I really like this idiom. Um, it's it's um, It feels like spring, you know. It feels like spring is back. Um, it's, I don't know why. It's just my weird association. I mean... That's it. That's it for tonight. I'm a bit tired, to be honest with you. I'm a bit tired. This has taken quite a long time to do. It involved a lot of preparation and I, I, um, I made a mistake here and there. So I had to re-record, delete some bits, edit a few things out. It's not easy to do this, you see. Um, but you know what? Hats off to you for staying this long, for staying till the end. I do uh, appreciate it, and you are the the cream of the crop here on Zenex English Podcast. And uh, what can I say? Well, all I can say is um, I hope you tune in for the following episode, which will be the direct continuation of this analysis. Have a good day, and don't forget to subscribe to Zenex English Podcast, find the Facebook group, or send me a message, or whatever. Have a great day. That's it for, uh, from me for today. Bye.